It's time for... I love these. I love these ones. But we just start afresh. The page is blank. Well, the page isn't blank. There's a, a number of pages we're writing on them that we've read. It's, it's this weird thing that you bring to this where you are kind of... You bring your own adolescence to it in all sorts of ways. Well, we shall find out if... Uh, this child, who it turns out will now be called Piggy, has 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 more has more depth than his current behaviour. He specs his asthma. He's constant talking about what he's not allowed to do by his auntie and the fact that he's called Piggy. Hello and welcome to Shark Live Royal. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. And it's time for a new book. It's time for all of these. I love these ones where we just start afresh. Yes. The page is blank. Well, the page isn't blank. There's a, a number of pages <laughs> writing on them that we've read. Um, and our book this time is The Lord of the Flies. Uh. The Flies. <laughs> Have you... Uh, I mean, I did, I did this book, uh, um, as you can tell from my rather juvenile approach to it uh, when I was 15 for GCSE at school. Have you ever come across it? Are we going to get into a sort of meta flashback situation now? You're just going to be flashing back to your own dastardly misspent school days. (laughs) Uh, I'm troubled, Matt. I'm quite glad we're recording this in different locations. Um, uh, No, I've never read it before in my life. Um, It was... uh, it was definitely it was one of the ones that I think you could do in for like GCSE English literature, but I did Animal Farm instead, I think. Oh right, yeah. Um, uh, which we should also do on the podcast at some point, actually. But yeah, no, no, I'd, I'd never touched it, and it's one of those ones that where I sort of came to it a little bit standoffishly because it's um, it's such a it, you know it's such a classic that it's become a part of almost everything that's been written since Mm. and quite a large range of genres um and so it's a little bit like you know you're aware that even though you've never read these words and engaged with these characters before you're definitely not coming to it entirely fresh Mm. and so that was so it's quite an interesting one for me reading these first little bits and sort of trying to stop myself from knowing where it's gonna go yeah yeah um but no, I'd never read it before. Have you read it since you were a teenager, or was this a bit of walk down memory lane for you? Yeah, it, well, it's one of these books that I enjoyed so much that well, that was so good that I um, actually enjoyed it while doing it at GCSE, which is a which is a curious rarity. Uh, that is, and, yeah, and, and ever ever since, yeah, I've I've read it every few years. Um, I really like All it. Right. it. I find it quite a good book to bizarrely book to read while going on holiday. It feels like a holiday read. <laughs> I, I was sort of thinking that the first chapter certainly where there's a lot of like physical description of this tropical very kind of punishingly hot environment mm. um as you know i live in cambodia and so i was i was reading it sort of looking outside going yeah unbearable heat you say i can't possibly imagine <laughs> yeah yeah we're uh, we're just sort of winding up to the hot season here so it's like it's mm. it is it's three in the afternoon for me at the moment and it's sort of 34 35 outside and so i I had no problem at all exercising what little remains of my imagination to try and get myself into the mindset of these characters (laughs) yeah so so as you say it's got a bit of a rep uh it won the nobel prize for literature so you know 
forget the Booker Prize. Must, it, must won, be it won the Nobel Prize. I didn't even know that existed <laughs> for literature. But yeah. Did you because, not? Oh, no, it's terrible to admit that, isn't it, when you're doing a podcast about books? <laughs> <but> anyway. Well, <laughs> I mean, it is actually, I think if you ask me off the top of my head to name another another <laughs> novel that it could be identified as being given for, because I'm a big Seamus Heaney nerd, and he won it in 95 for mm. poetry, for like a career of poetry. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, William Golding, I think, pretty much won it for this. Mm. And that's quite a striking thing to say about a novel that you can also teach to 14-year-olds and have it work for them. Mm. Um, yeah. So I, I like, hopes, hopes high, says the headline. Yeah, uh, I'm, as we go into this. I'm reading the physical copy of my, the one that I read when I was 15. So it's got How my, about that? It's got my old GCSE notes in it. Oh, in man. Um, and also, we were allowed to write quotes in the book, like yeah. in, in the in the inside cover. Yeah, our teacher said any really you know interesting quotes you're allowed you you can write in the in the inlay cover. Yeah. So mine has got scrawled in the biggest letters I could across the cover, the inside cover, bollocks to the rules. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a teenage hey, and also classic. a quote from the book so i got away with it brilliant too. yeah no that's note taking that is miss <laughs> first chance i got i can write bollocks in my book and not get bollocked for it fantastic <laughs> yeah so it's all that once again i think this is really fascinating I, I i sort of hope that we can get another little we can get some little interjections from you know 15 year old matt into the uh <laughs> insights at crucial points in the dialogue and the plot of this book what you thought about it at the time yeah i think it from what i can tell it's just a collection of uh of quotes that i've liked and usually ones that are a bit rude but i'll <laughs> i'll pick some out as we go that, that has merit that's not without you know i think that that could be interesting in itself and it's quite, <laughs> back when you were a sharklet yourself yeah yeah right okay if you want to get involved if you want to um sort of send us your own notes on the uh, on the Lord of the Flies. The place to send it is sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com on email or get us on Twitter at sharkliveroil. We've been talking, meandering around for about five minutes already, so let's get into the book. Let's get into um, it. And rather than do a general introduction to what it's about, we'll just sort of explain the plot as it goes. So, the first chapter, The Sound of the Shell. And uh, we're on this small tropical island... We meet this fair-haired boy called Ralph and this short, fat boy with glasses who doesn't get a name at this stage. Mm. They're talking about a pilot and a plane. You sort of, in, over the first few paragraphs, you piece together that there's been this plane crash and mm. uh, and these kids are sort of wandering about on an island. Yeah, I quite like how it slowly zooms into where we are and becomes into focus. I thought it was just, especially when I was reading it when I was a teenager, it was the first time I'd seen it so sort of subtly done rather than just the author saying, right, this is what we're doing. <laughs> sort of just we're here, right. the trees are over there, something horrific <laughs> has just happened over over here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, I thought the closest comparison I could get to it is the, um, uh, it was actually to the book that gave this podcast its name, hmm. um, was uh, the first one we ever did, um, The Old Man and the Sea by Ernest Hemingway. Yeah. And it's not quite as lean as Hemingway's writing, but it's definitely being done by a writer who knows 
how to tell you literally only the things he wants you to know while he's mm. setting a scene and yeah. to like let the scene emerge from what he's saying but also from, sort of from what he's not saying in a sense yeah um yeah and I, and it was re- yeah really really good as you say i was a bit nervous that it might sort of carry on that way Mm. Um, and it it does a little bit like it definitely doesn't kind of come into this like full focus deep field kind of everything in shot type writing it's still a little bit spare but it it does flesh out a bit and I was quite I was quite happy about that actually I have to say I think this would have been quite a difficult read if it had stayed in the sort of voice that it used in the first few pages yeah but yeah but yeah quality um, it doesn't look like there are any grown ups around and Ralph is really excited about this prospect. Um, the fat, the fat kid, less so. <laughs> there's, there's your first indicator of differing experience being brought to the island. There. Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah. So the, 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 the fat child asks Ralph's name, and Ralph gives it him. So then we know, that's how we find out who this kid is. Um, he doesn't ask. He doesn't ask the, the other child what his name is, but he finds out that he's got he's got specs and asthma. Um, which he complains about. (laughs) They they feel like two two little boys here who maybe wouldn't be close friends, given the sort of... Yeah, it does a bit, doesn't it? And, like, and yeah, it's a very well... I kept worrying that the the kid with the specs and the asthma feels... I was trying not to let him be a cliché. Yeah. And this was the first place where I was sort of quite conscious that this this is the type of story which has played into a lot of other stories since then because hmm. you can kind of already feel this character for the stereotype he becomes in everybody's parodies of this hmm. whereas I'm like I don't it won the Nobel Prize for Literature I'm sure that this character is not as flat as my <laughs> brain is wanting to make him in reading this I'm sure he's got layers and depth and all the rest of it but I was Definitely, for a good while in this first little bit, I was like, "Yeah, he's a fat kid. Yeah, asthma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bitches about stuff. Yeah, I know he's going to be useless. Yeah, of course he's going to be the object of the contempt of his contemporaries. Of course." And like, trying to stop myself from thinking that just because this has clearly left such a massive mark on yeah. stories told since. Yeah, I suppose that is though. It's also a cliche, but also true in schools. Mm-hmm. Up and down the country, like I, yeah. I, I, I saw this this child, um, yeah. you know, or a, a reflection of this child at my school. Um, in in fact, several, you know, in every cl- yeah. every class has one, doesn't it? On every school. Um, well, yeah, and and part of the book is the power of that archetype, I suppose. Mm. Um, but again, you sort of want a book to do something that you're teenage brain doesn't do which is equip yeah. the person who acts like that with more character yeah. than the sort of you know carefully pathetic facade that they're kicking out there you know yeah. or that you might be imposing upon them yeah well we shall tell if we shall find out if uh if this child who it turns out will now be called piggy um <laughs> has 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 more, has more depth yeah. <laughs> then, then his then his current behaviour, his specs, his asthma, his constant talking about what he's not allowed to do by his auntie, <laughs> and the fact that he's called name. Piggy, and, and like like all of that feels of a piece. Yeah. 
And I can't work out if the fact that he's, he's called Piggy because he says, I don't care what you all call me as long as you don't call me Piggy. And you're like, are you supposed to be a 13-year-old, 12-year-old boy? Are you, <laughs> because, and how sheltered precisely has your education been to this point? Certainly hasn't been sheltered enough that you've avoided getting called Piggy. <laughs> so how is it you don't know that that's not what you do? You know, yeah. like... Uh, but, but, and that's it again. I, I mean, uh, this is touches on something which I think we'll probably talk about a bit more in a little bit. But, um, you can't, I'd be really fascinated to see how Americans read this because mm. so much of the way, just even this first scene is set up, is these two kids and their sort of different expectations and attitudes. And, and I, you can't fail, as you've said, to bring your own school experience to this. Mm. But you and I both went to school in England, and this is, to a certain extent, this is a satire on what English education is like. Yeah, yeah. Or was like. You know, William Golding was a, was a school teacher, as it turns out, so he's got a certain amount of insight to this. And, um, <laughs> um, and, and so, um, yeah, it's, I don't know, that just felt like it's an interesting thing to me that I, I can't not impose upon it my particular, like, educational background and mm. my expectations of uh other people's expect uh, educational background as well um you know to me it's palpably ridiculous that a 13 year old could get to the age of 13 without learning how not to invite the mockery because that was basically yeah. what my education was in yeah. um and i you know it's not i'm not sure whether that would be true for people from other places or whether that's a particular you know kind of psychosis of the type of school that i went to in the uk or what you know i don't know but um yeah yeah i thought this i thought it was quite um quite sweet of and and quite naive of of, of piggy to to say yeah. Is, yeah i don't care what they call me as long as they, they don't call me what they used to at school piggy. It, it was it made me think he's he thinks he's already friends with ralph and he's trusting him like yeah. a friend and yeah. that's clearly not the way that Ralph sees it because he immediately yeah. pisses himself and starts calling him <laughs> Piggy. Piggy, Piggy. <laughs> and like acts in a very childish way himself. By he does a handstand. Yeah, like, yeah he's just got yeah. he does all, that all of the this time. mad joy at how <laughs> stupid this name is and does a handstand. <laughs> yeah, and um, and yeah, the, the, it's a, it's a strange. Um, it, yeah, it's a strange sort of thing to to watch but it is, is also as we say kind of strangely familiar as well um, yeah. but you can just imagine as soon as he said as long as he's not call me piggy as soon as ralph starts laughing it's just like yeah. head in his hands <laughs> like no yeah and it is a little bit sort of wah, wah, his response and there's lots of stuff that piggy does over the first two chapters where you're like oh come on man you like where we have you been educated in a hole in the ground mm. you know or are you as one-dimensional as you would appear to be? You know, because it really is. He's he's the the second version of Homer Simpson in the um, the TV series that happens to have a character called Homer Simpson in it. You know, the uh oh spaghettios <laughs> character. That might as well be Piggy's catchphrase at this point. Uh, they find this uh, this pool just on the uh, by the sea, um, sort of a natural pool that's been made. Um, by the sort of rock formation and Ralph immediately sort of strips and jumps in and has a swim um, and as he sees it he shouts the first of what will become many 
like oldie oldie time school um, sort of <laughs> slang. He goes, he goes Wizzo. I love that. <laughs> and again, I have to work hard to remind myself that that is exactly the same as a 12-year-old today going, awesome! Yeah. Um, or, in my, my case, I have very vivid memory of reasons passing sense. The word dossy being the word that was used in my school <laughs> at around that age to describe something that was great. And like... Dossy? Seriously? Is that the word we were going to... But if I was going to write a book that was set then with a 12-year-old expressing jubilation, that would be the word they would use, and it wouldn't make it out of the slush pile at the publisher, because they're yeah. Dossy? What? What is yeah. this? Bin. <laughs> what was that? Out of interest, can you remember what you would have yelled out of for, for sheer joy and happiness when you were that age, oh. amongst your sort of group of contemporaries? Um... Oh, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to imagine him doing it. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll have a think. I can't, I'm not sure. I, I can't think of anything that would not be that. I, that I wouldn't say now. So, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like how much of your again, it's interesting. Like how much of yourself at that age you actually perhaps do carry forward into how you talk now, mm. and how much you impose on your past memories. Mm. You know, wisdom that you've learned <laughs> since. You kind of don't want to. You don't want to admit that as a as a as a, a twelve year old, you know, you might have used a different word or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, uh, or not not you, one me. Basically, I'm a bit embarrassed that I use the word dossy because it seems so preposterous to me. Um, but that was, I definitely I remember very clearly that was the word that we used. Mm. Um, anyway, yeah, it's it's this weird thing that you bring to this where you are kind of you bring your own adolescence to it in all sorts of ways. Yeah. Um, Ralph's talking about how he reckons his dad's just going to come and rescue them at some point, and Piggy gives a few sort of cold hard reasons why maybe not. Um, <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> this is something that'll happen throughout the sort of the next few chapters. He's sort of the the quiet voice of reason, which no one listens to. Piggy, isn't he? Yeah, um, yeah. And and you've got to say, like, as against the kind of unthinking empire confidence of Ralph. My daddy's in the navy. He'll come and find us. It's all, all going to be fine. And Piggy just being like, um, "Well, the the pilot was talking about like a bomb, like an atom bomb. So, um, probably probably not." Yeah. Um. They, they so they find this shell, the conch, this beautiful um sort of uh, shell that you can blow into and create a really loud noise. They try doing that. And um, after a couple of false starts, it works. The false starts, they try blowing into it, and it just you hear this fart noise. And they both, both the kids, like roll around laughing together about it. And I, just, <laughs> I thought, I thought that was quite good because it shows just how sort of malleable relationships are at that age, like a very short period yeah. of time. Like there's this immediate sort of betrayal of Piggy where Ralph laughs at him, and then within minutes they're like both laughing at this farty sounding shell. And you know, I think if they were te- if they were ten years older, Piggy wouldn't laugh. He'd be too, still too hurt or upset, or you know, it just it feels like that's a very twelve-year-old thing that you can be mean to each other one minute and then almost straight away be very friendly. That's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, like and that again, and I, that feels quite realistic to me. Hmm. And there's this kind of thing bubbling behind it that neither of them quite know what to do. So you sort of. You know, you can kind of take refuge in the fact that whatever else is going on, a fart sound is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a very fundamental piece of knowledge in the mind 
of a, a child, and that like, that feels quite that feels quite true to me, really. Like you know, you take refuge in the fact that fart gags are funny, yeah. and again true for 12 year olds i'm not sure adults would act quite this as you say sort of malleably mm. but at the same time <laughs> if you can make a joke out of a tense situation that will change the nature of that situation even if the joke is really stupid yeah. and that's definitely that's kind of what we see here i think yeah and if it kind of feels like this is a um almost a relief for piggy as well because this whole bit so far has been him trying to sort of reach out to because of the way that basically because of the way they both look and because of the sort of stereotypes that they've grown up with um it's sort of this this whole first few pages is piggy trying to be friends with ralph and the sort of question being whether ralph will deign to allow him to be friends which is it's weird that they and as you say it's quite a stereotype that they these two kids immediately go into that relationship just, yeah. just from how they look, you know, um, yeah. the, the, the yeah, pecking order is established yeah. like like that, you know. Yeah, and and the whole question of sort of pecking order and status is is I think is going to become quite quite relevant throughout the rest of the narrative, and yeah, there are ways. This is this is quite affecting and quite human and quite subtle, kind of the way they do it and how it's done and why. And you know what what they look like while they're doing it. There's a, in a little while. There's the entrance of something which I think is just the brilliant black comic version of this. But we'll get there. <laughs> so they blow this conch, and all the other kids start to appear. Um, there are these <clears throat> identical twins called Sam and Eric. Uh, there's a little boy, little boy called Johnny, and. Um, <laughs> <laughs> where we is it movie of the week time now is that where we've gone just there's a boy called little johnny so now everything's like johnny do it for little johnny do it for johnny <laughs> we've got to find those kids got to find my little johnny uh, <laughs> <anyway>. <laughs> is there a is that like just you using that voice there's now this whole parallel narrative going in my brain where there's like a proper late 80s stallone <laughs> shit action movie going of the parents of all of these guys trying to you know themselves forming a ragtag uh team to go and get johnny back you know you got you got stallone looking for johnny but then you've got somebody you've got the guy from independence day who's just been waiting in the desert for the americans to turn up going look we must go and find ralph i'm in the bloody navy all right we need to go and find ralph you need to go and find ralph i'm in the navy thank god the americans are here what do you want i want you to help me find ralph well i'm out for johnny okay well let's go you know <laughs> well the thing is stallone is the world's most leading expert on island exploration but dave hey but dave he's been retired for five years but now, <laughs> he, he left that behind five years ago <laughs> that's amazing i swore i'd never go on an island again that seems impractical well yeah i mean i just kind of stay at home I swore I'd never go. (laughs) Remember what happened back then in Geneva. Geneva, Geneva's not an island. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was it was a Swallows and Amazons holiday on uh, Coniston Water. I was out on the 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 island, and I I can't talk about it. I made a fire; it didn't work. I went home. It was awful. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. The, the, the parallel adventure of Stallone trying to find his Johnny, 
Um, it, it's kicking off somewhere does, else, but not in the book. Does it bode terribly well for us as readers of serious Nobel Prize winning literature that we are 20 minutes in and we've already gone to the, <laughs> to the preposterous action stereotype rather than attending to the subtle social observation being unfolded before us? <laughs> of course, yeah. It's, it's the chart of On brand. Away. On yeah. brand. <laughs> So, so these kids start turning up, and this group of boys emerge from across the sand, um, all in black, sort of marching together. You can almost hear the da 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 da. It's this choir. It's <laughs> such a weird image, isn't it? Like, I have questions, like, because this whole thing of what they're wearing right at the start of the narrative kind of happened before, where, where like. Uh, Ralph is described as still sort of wearing his school uniform in this preposterous mm. heat. Yeah. Um, you know, black leather shoes and grey shirt and the rest of it. Um, and that's quite funny. But but then this choir emerges, and I'm sort of aware that it is quite difficult for me to take seriously the, like, the origin moment of crashing on an island in a world that has lost in it. Mm. Like, I'm just sitting there going, oh, yeah, yeah. The choir already remarkably well organized, and I suppose there's a polar bear coming in behind them as well, right? <laughs> um, but but also it's like okay, so the plane crashes, and you jump out of the presumably jump out of the plane, and 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 then you're all in a choir which has been run on apparently military grounds <laughs> because you all sort of line up in twos behind the head chorister and head boy who can sing a high C, and you sort of form up into marching formation and go across the beach. I, t- I, I mean, I didn't go to a school like that, so I, maybe you do get a sense of emotional kind of security out of that sort of regimentation, but I would just find that laughable. Yeah. Think, what do you think? It's funny. I, I think, because um, on the one hand, this is because neither of us went to public school, this is a bit of of sort of that being that age, which is alien to us. Whereas, like the stuff yeah. with Piggy and Ralph is so familiar that it's a cliche because we saw you see yeah. that happen in every school up and down yes, the country. That's actually true. Isn't um, it? Yeah, yeah, this sort yeah. of thing, yeah, just seems utterly bizarre because, yeah, outside of some very expensive free paying schools in the fifties, this just doesn't happen anymore. I don't think. Yeah, just- um, Wearing but, yeah. I, I black robes. It yeah, it's the kind of thing I, I imagine would happen in a public school. I mean, I yeah. suppose that's my thing, is that, like, having... My dad taught at a school like this. I did not go to a school like this. So I got this really weird sort of over-the-fence view of some of this shit. <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm like, I, I can kind of believe that it would happen, mm. this... That, that, like, that, you know, you... <laughs> ridiculous choir robes which you wear when you're on a flight from point A to point B nobody knows where you travel dressed as a fucking chorist <laughs> and, and good luck um, but I, it's it's such a weird yeah it's just it's such a sort of weird idea that you would be so married to this this identity that you get within the school of being a chorister that yeah. that would be your first response to trauma well we've lost everything but we've still got our robes and there's still somebody with a golden badge on his cap so let's 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 go let's let's make it happen military choristers i can't get over the fact that they're choristers as well (laughs) anything else because these schools they often have like um what you call it um the cadets uh ccf they have little sort of army units 
<laughs> full of children. Um, you know, so you could have done that, but Heart William Golding choir. clearly chooses to make it the choir, and I think that is an understated stroke of comic genius. <laughs> So worth us pointing out um, for our American listeners the, that uh, in England public schools oh, yeah. flipped on its head. So public schools yeah. are the ones that you pay to send your kids to, um, yeah. whereas you know I think in America it's the other way around, isn't it? Um, yeah, very much. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, so it would be correct to say that you and I went to state schools, which is to say they were paid for with taxes, yeah. um, not by our parents. So, uh, so they, yeah, these guys arrive. The, the leader of the of the group of, of choir boys is called Jack, and um, again, there's this immediate sorting, and yeah. uh, and and Ralph immediately likes Jack because they both assume they're on the same sort of level in terms yeah. of, of sort of respect, and um, yeah, and because Piggy isn't. The way that Ralph and Jack sort of bond is sort of Ralph tells everyone that his name's Piggy. And they yeah. all have a good laugh at him. And it's sort of, again, a very, very sort of schoolyard. This is how sort of group relationships tend to form um, <laughs> yeah. in, in, the, in, in the playground. And it happens here. Yeah, very much. And it's, um, it's, it's really, it's such an interesting, such a light touch for such a deep satire, this mm. bit. Like, where, you know, you've got the sort of two, if you like, officer class types. And I sense all the way along the way we are going to do a lot of unpacking of British idioms that surround class and education and so on. Um, but, you know, these these two, uh, Ralph and, um, and Jack, um, and their behaviour and their expectations of each other and their, their clear insecurity in their environment and the way that they instinctively recognise that victimising somebody else is a way for them to maintain this like we're on the same team aren't we because we both Mm. need to we both need items x y and z to occur in our lives and we both understand that the playbook we're going to use to do that is by acting in this way and we both therefore understand that our behavior afterwards should be this and this and this Mm. and it's just this really interesting sort of image again from a guy who was a school teacher at a school like this the sort of fucking bleakness that he's able to bring to this this image of the children that he's been teaching all of this time (laughs) i do sort of wonder how bad the lesson was directly after which he sat down and started typing this first chapter do you know what i mean how bad it had to get for how long before he sat down and was like right right (laughs) Gonna right. work through some issues they, here. Exactly. <laughs> they marched out of the surf still wearing their bloody choristers' uniforms. Wankers. And 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 he was really mean to the other kid because he's a wanker. And, <laughs> and it's really like yeah, I sort of you know, I, I I I wonder how bad it had got that day. Yeah. Now Jack's this um sort of aggressive, spoilt, like um it's uh, everything sort of always, everything seems to have always got. I think I don't think he's ever not got his way. This guy, and um, they have this. This the, he immediately says, "Right, we need to have a chief. We need to have a leader." Um, <clears throat> and that should be me. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and there you have political dialogue boiled down to a fairly tight one sentence, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, we need to have a leader. Brackets, and that should be me. Um, <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> Somebody should be in charge, and it ought to be me. Yeah, they they all decide to have a vote instead, and because basically because Ralph blew the conch, and I don't know for whatever reason. 
the vote goes they, they all they pick Ralph apart from the yeah. apart from the quiet the choruses and um, yeah. Jack's sort of crushed yeah. and you can tell he's like also really pissed off and yeah. Ralph immediately says but you know the the choir are yours that they, they can be the army or the hunters or something and it's yeah. kind of for for a twelve year old it's quite sort of a bit of sort of leadership genius this in a way because yeah. he does what sort of politicians have been doing for for centuries which is you know immediately promoting your potential opponent to sort of buy them off early yeah. um yeah. it can store up problems later down the line but it, it's often the way that you handle someone like jack uh, in a political situation um i thought that was yeah. quite good leadership from Ralph. yes yeah 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 very very much and um uh it's quite a yeah, it's, it's an interesting sort of image, isn't it? Of like, so where does he get that instinctive understanding of, of that sort of thing? And you know, it's it's a, a, a one can assume it's to do with class and education and the rest of it. Hmm. Um, uh, but I I like I like that this is not this is not the brightest kind of shaft of light in a new Republican dawn for social organisation because <laughs> it's not like they all kind of we should have a vote right let's work out who we're going to vote for it's all very clear they're going to vote for the guys that are already acting like they're in charge <laughs> yeah. and 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 then it's about who's got the you know who's most recently done the most impressive thing and <laughs> and impressive in this context involves you know, nearly asphyxiating yourself, making a sort of terribly impressive farting noise with a conch shell. <laughs> um, which yeah. is a bit... I, I, I'm making light of it, really, because it was... Actually, I did find it quite interesting, this I, this sense of the sort of being... S- making a decision about who you're going to be led by on the basis of this kind of... Almost... There's something kind of quite spiritual about how they've all been moved by the sound of this conch. There's this sense that Ralph has accrued power because he's the one that made the big impressive noise Hmm. and that called them all together. And there's something symbolic in that that they all kind of instinctively respond to and gather around and and that's it, you know, and that's that's what happens. And it's that was quite that was the first bit of this where I was like, oh that's that's quite an interesting, quite a subtle point about how human beings work um, that I haven't necessarily seen reflected in all of the things that have clearly built on this this sort of narrative, this sort of way of talking about, about mm. things. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's just done this big physical thing and then everybody's gone, yeah, right, he's the guy. Mm. And he kind of made that believable to me in a way that even, like, Beowulf doesn't, you know. Yeah. Just, all, all, you know, everything else including sort of Lord of the Rings and that, you know, this stuff. he is the big guy with the big sword who does the big thing, so we all follow him because he's the big... feels like a circular argument. Mm. But actually pinpointing the sort of... the fact that that can itself be impressive and therefore can be something that people choose to follow because of the slightly difficult-to-map connection between how you feel and what you do physically and what that makes you think and therefore what that makes you consent to is quite an interesting... That was quite an interesting thing that I'd never really seen pinpointed in in such a deft, lightweight sort of a way. I really liked it. First bit of this where I was like, Nobel Prize, all right, all right, mm. can do. They, 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 three of them decided to go on an expedition, Ralph and Jack, and I think Ralph picked Simon 
um, which is which is one of the one of the guys from the choir. But I thought it was it was quite encouraging if I was Ralph to to sort of for Jack to allow him to do that. It shows that he's fallen in line. Um, he's not saying, "Well, I'm going to decide who comes with us." You know, they're not sort of drawing. He's not drawing lines between sort of how much control he has over sort of these these quieter guys. Mm. Um, Piggy's pushed out. Piggy wants to come, but he's, he's sort of pushed out. And he has this quiet word with Ralph as they set off because yeah. he's sort of tagging along and saying, "Come on, let, I want to come with you." And he also says, "You know, you told everyone." my name that my, that I was called Piggy and you know even though I asked you not to you can tell he's really he's really hurt Piggy because yeah. he thought that this guy was his friend and yeah. like he's he's just realized that maybe he's he's not and um yeah it was quite it was quite it's quite a sort of a, a sad moment I thought and I, it's interesting the reaction from Ralph and the way that it's described in the book so Ralph basically turns around and says look deal with it Sorry if you feel like that, which is the greatest non-apology ever. And, <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah. And again, then he's got a future in politics, Ralph, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, and then sends him back. But that yeah. that sort of what he says is that uh, the author says before he before he speaks, you know, showing true leadership. He said this. Yeah. I think that's quite interesting. I'm not sure that would be described as good leadership these days, but it was definitely like good leadership at the time, which is. You know, That's interesting. If people isn't it? are upset, just tell them to deal and just get on with it. You yeah. You, well, you, you, you as, as leader, you can't afford to be bothered about other people's problems. You, they've just got to deal with it themselves. That's interesting because this didn't feel to me like like he was just telling it the fuck off. Mm. Like it felt, it actually felt like Piggy got a little bit of kind of emotional power here mm. to like appeal to this guy who has all of this authority from nowhere. Um, actually demonstrating that he can make himself listened to um albeit not publicly but he can say he can kind of call him to a to a a a moral standard that he's failed in and ralph listens to that Mm. and admittedly ralph's response after that is to say it doesn't matter you know here's the right thing that we're gonna do and but he does also do the buying off buying him off thing he says here's the job that you've got to do yeah, which is yeah. itself, you know, is kind of dignifying him with more presence than he's previously been given in the group, you know, as something yeah. other than punching bag. Yeah. I mean, it's not, not a great job, but, um, you know, but it, again, it feels of a piece with what he did with um, with Jack as well. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. you know, like, okay, I'm listening to you and it's this, even though we still end up doing what I say we should do. Um, but, and it is interesting, you're right, that there's that sort of moral statement, it's like, you know, true leadership involves... Yeah. Um, you know, telling him to go to hell in such a way that he looks forward to the trip. Um, uh, and I do again. I sort of wonder how how much that's just reflective of of um, what was held to be normal at the time. Um, yeah. You know, even if you're writing a book that sort of questions these norms, that just feels like the right thing to do. And again, you know, now not only do I have questions about education in my culture, I have questions about my culture and my society. You know, because this this book was published around the time my dad was born. So, what, you know, if this was true, this was true when my dad went to school. Yeah, and that that it feels like quite a connection to me. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think maybe it is actually better better leadership than I, maybe I give it credit for as well. I think from from what you said, I didn't really look at it that way. They they explore the island now, and um, 
these three they see these animal tracks they keep ex- these these exclamations keep coming like uh, wacko wizard smashing um, <laughs> there's a great bit where they, they get halfway up the mountain because they got they decide to climb this mountain to get a view of the island they get halfway up and they see this rock on a ledge so everything has to stop while they all try and push this rock up the ledge. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness, that felt true though, didn't it? Yeah, like yeah. we're all doing this terribly serious stuff. Oh, go a big rock, gotta push that off. <laughs> I'll do it first. No, you fucking won't. I'll do it first. Right? Should we go on trying to survive? Um, I'll admit that um, this was actually one moment where I felt. I felt the absurdity of it even more because he keeps kind of talking about this being like the late afternoon, like it's getting cooler. Yeah. And I would be really interested to know whether before he wrote this book, William Golding had actually spent any time in the tropics Mm. because I live here. And if it's already cooling off at the end of the day, you've got 45 minutes tops before it's dark. (laughs) Like, sunset happens does not hang around and so he's kind of mounted this whole expedition thing in in the kind of long summer dusk of an english june where you know that you know it starts to cool off and then you've got four hours of light left yeah um and in cambodia or you know in the tropics that's just not the way it works Hmm. so i really sort of want to know it because i have this the whole time this whole scene had this extra undergirding of what the hell are you doing as yeah. they're flinging themselves against this rock having a pissing contest basically <laughs> and I'm like you are going to get lost in the jungle in the dark you're going to like this book isn't going to last more than another chapter and a half <laughs> and then they were all eaten by snakes the end <laughs> so they, they reach the summit and they see the whole island it's not very big it's boat shaped um, there's sort of another mini island uh, just off the end of of one side. It sort of it looks like the island tapers to a point, and then there's an extra little bit, almost like a a tail with a um, with a little sort of sphere at the end of it. And um, there's a coral reef, but the the main thing they can see is there's no smoke or no sign of any habitation. So it looks like it's just it's just them on the island. Uh, on the way back down, they come across a piglet that's been trapped. In these like in these sort of roots, and they hesitate, sort of think about whether to kill it for meat, and um, before they can, it runs away, and Jack sort of promises that he he will he will kill it, kill sort of a pig next yeah. time if they come across it. Yeah, man, and this is this is quite chillingly well realised behaviour on Jack's part, isn't it? Because he's mm. so excited about killing this thing. But they all know that they're kind of scared of it, but not only because it would be shocking or because it's new, but because it would feel gross yeah. or wrong somehow. You like the you know the, the shedding of blood is a profound act, and they kind of feel that that again that sort of spiritual significance of it. But Jack really wants to do it anyway, but he's just absolutely caught between I dare not and I would, you know, like I really mm. want to do it and I really see this as an important big thing that I shouldn't that I that is a big deal I'm not sure I have the strength to kind of live up to. Um and everybody knows that that's what's happened. Nobody talks about it, but when the pig runs away, he sort of just rams this penknife into a tree. Yeah. <laughs> And and sort of basically dares anybody to call him a wimp, and mm. then and then like later when he gets back down to the beach, he does it again. Yeah, and he's so clearly sort of possessed by this strong feeling of 
shame or desire to prove through violence that he's right even though he's missed he feels he's missed an opportunity and and it's all quite chilling because he's like right well if you're stabbing a tree because of this in chapter one what the hell are you going to be doing in chapter six yeah where do you Um, go from there exactly and it feels so real to me i thought Moving on to chapter two, Fire on the Mountain. So they have another meeting and as you say, this this long hazy afternoon. Um and <laughs> Again, they love a meeting, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Well it's, I think it's it might be this chapter where they say they do like they do love a meeting because it's sort of rem- it's one thing that reminds them of like home and order. Yeah. Um yeah. so they so they find they, they attach a real importance to uh, turning up for these meetings whenever they're called with the conch. Um this one is I think he does a good job here of getting a real sense of this sort of babble of kids. Like, they're often interrupting each other and talking over each other in their excitement. And uh, to get some order, Ralph says, you know, right, you're only going to speak if you're holding the conch. And we're going to put our hands up and take turns, because otherwise nothing's going to get done. (laughs) I like, it's, is this, I know this is one of the sort of set piece kind of emblematic bits about this book. But do you think it's realistic that a bunch of 12-year-olds and younger on an island, the first thing they would develop is a sort of bureaucratic committee system? <laughs> Does I, that feel right to you? Like, I, I, kind of, I kind of thought, like, a public school in the 50s or earlier, yeah, <laughs> I, I can imagine that would be like, <laughs> they'd be drummed into them, like, right, you must have the, you know, you're English. And that means we yeah, do you must follow properly. order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and they actually say that at one point, don't they? You know, we're not savages. We're English, and the English are best at everything. Yeah, and it's <laughs> like the sheer pain of knowing that that was said in the year that the frigging um, the Suez Crisis went down. Um, <laughs> Suez Crisis for um, uh, uh, again, I think for American listeners particularly. Um, that's the moment where the British Empire tried to act like an empire, and it didn't work. Mm. And since then, British kind of political activity and, and, and foreign policy and that has been completely, in a sense, completely shaped by a desperate desire not to have to face that kind of shame again. Mm. And um, it's a very sort of end of empire moment. And this little passage where they say we're English and the English are best at everything is absolutely the voice of a sort of late stage empire that is about to die mm. and perhaps doesn't even know it itself. And I just found, I don't know when the syntax is, if the Suez crisis happened before this was written, because it could just very easily have been written the year before and it would have just been like, yeah, that's what everybody would say. Mm. Um, but it's pretty, it's like, I, I found that quite striking, really, that, that somebody would just so casually say that. Um, in the 50s, where actually the British Empire had lost so much of its prominence uh, mm. in the world. Um, that was just really interesting sort of death of empire as acted out by 12 year olds <laughs> um, Jack is really keen on um, in terms of rules having like rules and it seems punishment for breaking them uh, I, I get the feeling yeah. he, he's imagining uh, dishing out the punishment yeah, he really is isn't he he's not thinking I, you know, I might be the person to suffer at the hand of an autocratic ruler he's thinking autocratic ruler that looks good doesn't it I think yeah. I might have myself a bit of that <laughs> and it's a bit yeah exactly one hesitates to use the phrase little Hitler but at the same time this is definitely we need more rules we definitely need more rules is something that he says at least twice yeah. and that's mm, mm, do we 
Are you enjoying it a little bit too much, perhaps? More rules. <laughs> oh, th- this this book was published in 50, 1954, it says on the inlay. So that'd be two years before Suez. So yeah, it's right, right before when we yeah. hit, the, sort of hit the Suez crash. Yeah, so it's not like. a conscious comment on that. It's more mm. just a crystallisation of that entire mindset. Which I say, I mean, I think it's quite easy for... Even though you and I were born long after that moment... I think you, we probably both have a fairly good instinctive sense of the sort of emotional logic of that mm. because it's just, it, you know, it stays in a culture for quite a long, quite a long time. Yeah. Um, like I say, this is just really making me reflect on my own culture quite a lot and that's yeah. quite, quite powerful, really. In this discussion, P- um, Piggy's sort of doing the sort of big, similar to what he said to Ralph in the first chapter, he's doing this sort of big picture, you know, hard truth stuff. It's like, no one really knows we're here. We could be here a long time. And everyone's getting a bit it's the kind of stuff that people need to reflect on but also it's not great for morale so ralph sort of steps in and says you know this is a really good island we'll we'll have fun on here before, you know while we wait for people to rescue us and, and you know we will get rescued and um and then this little kid comes forward with a birthmark on his face and says but what about the beastie in the trees and he's seen yeah. a, a monster in the trees yeah and the yeah. reaction to this is interesting. It shows you the first sort of split between Ralph and Jack. Because Ralph says, Ralph's desperate to make sure that everyone knows that this doesn't exist. It's a figment of their imagination. Yeah. And Jack, <laughs> Jack's response is like, yeah, it probably doesn't. But if it does, we'll kill it. And <laughs> just like, he's far more bothered about the prospect of like having an adventure and killing something rather than keeping order amongst the group. I think... The, these two responses show how Ralph thinks about how to lead this group and Jack thinks about what is the most exciting thing for him to do. Yeah, and within a couple of pages and sort of by chance rolls of the dice, we've arrived at a place where you've got you've got the guy that likes being in control. You've got the guy that likes having power, and those two things are different. Jack likes having power, including the power to kill things, and he kind of doesn't care where it is exercised as long as he gets to exercise it to his own satisfaction. Mm. You know, um, so you've got, if you'll permit me, you've got your Stalin and you've got your Trotsky. And... (laughs) And then, and but then you've got Piggy who keeps talking about like you know we need to actually have something that makes sense here, and he's just sort of like petty level kind of um, administrator <laughs> type. He's Molotov, yeah. and um, and that's just I just I kind of love that they've evolved into these like instantly into these roles that are most suited to their emotional temperament. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, and and yeah, just particularly though, Jack being like, don't care what's there, gonna fucking kill it. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I do not see a happy future for him in this novel, <laughs> or for those around him, I should say. <laughs> I mean, I can see from his point of view how he would imagine that as comfort. He's saying, you know, we'll protect you, don't worry. But at the same time, yeah, yeah the whole point Ralph's trying to make is there's nothing to be protected from. This is bollocks. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and 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 Jack's happy for everybody to be shit scared as long as they're looking to him to deal with the situation. Whereas Ralph's like, they're all shit scared. This is not going to go well for anybody. Yeah, or I mean, perhaps more precisely, for me, like it's definitely a self-preservation thing. He yeah. wants the right to tell everybody what's true. Yeah, um, that's yeah, quite that's interesting true. too. Yeah, and maybe uh, yeah, a different type of leader would have sort of gone around the Jack route and thought, you know, this doesn't hurt my position here if people are terrified of something outside of us. That brings yeah. everyone together around me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is oddly, even though he's 
you know, I, it is quite Stalinist, the desire to just yell the thing you want everybody to hold as true mm. until they hold it as true. That's not a terribly kind of benign instinct in a leader, <laughs> but it's perhaps better than the... Um, it's uh, Actually, it's a Himmler thing, isn't it? It's a, if they've got something to be scared of, they're going to follow you, and that's great mm. um, uh, kind of instinct. Yeah, I'm not like, sure which of those I would want to win out. To be perfectly honest, Starling or Himmler, but yeah, well, I mean that that, that idea of a sphere of outside and uh, sort yeah. of creating an enemy that that's sort of the classic, you know, if, if you're struggling in the polls, start a war, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, and you'll win, yeah. and yeah, like the the, the kind of uh, despicable moral turpitude of that doesn't become any less despicable apparently when it's being practiced by twelve year olds. <laughs> I discover, yeah. <laughs> So, so they say um, the, the the group says we've got to so to help us get rescued. Um, we need to have a fire on the mountain, create smoke, so we'll be seen further off. Really, sort of clever idea. Um, and everyone gets so excited, they all just start tearing off up the mountain to do it straight away. And then you get this yeah. image of sort of it's basically just Ralph and Piggy just standing there with like. <laughs> Ralph holding the couch, <laughs> empty room. Like, oh god! <laughs> it's one one sheet of paper drifting softly to the floor. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Well, let's follow them, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So they run up there. Um, they, they build this this big fire. Uh, this is uh, again Jack and Ralph are very like friendly here, aren't they? Very close. They pick up this like big log together and. It just feels like, especially when you're reading later and looking back on this, this is sort of the, like a, a golden time for those two. Um, yeah. They use Piggy's glasses to light a fire. And again, it's sort of, they need something. Piggy's glasses is the, the thing that is like the big helpful tool. Yeah. But it's not like Piggy willingly gives them up or suggests them or they ask for them. They just sort of jump him and grab his glasses and use them. Yeah. And again, yeah. He's, he's just being sort of, even when he's useful, he's just being kicked around, isn't he? Yeah, he's definitely a passive actor in the whole in the whole thing. And he's not, and I can't work out, and I really, I'm not sure I'll ever get an answer to this, I don't think. But like, I can't work out if that, the fact that he's not entering into the game on their terms is admirable mm. or stupid, you know? Because yeah. like, a different kind of kid would notice, okay, I have a resource here that I can leverage to get the stuff that I need and to keep myself safe and get some respect. I've got the glasses. I'm the fire guy. Yeah. Um, but he kind of doesn't. He just lets him take them off him and, you know, kind of, you know, feel lucky to get them back at the end of it mm. and you know I, I honestly can't work out if that is admirable or stupid or both perhaps yeah now they, they build this fire very quickly and then everyone sort of falls back in the grass exhausted it goes out yeah. really quickly and yeah. um, jo- uh, Ralph says right we're going to need some rules to <clears throat> to make sure the fire's always kept going <laughs> Jack's in the background going excellent more rules give me rules <laughs> Yeah, listen Jack- to the rules, all of you people. Otherwise, I will have my choristers kill you. <laughs> Jack's quite eager to help because he says, "You know, the hunters will take care of this. Um, we'll do this as well." <laughs> That's amazing. I will exercise most rules over my guys. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's the that's the offer there. Um, and then they realise that that the fire has actually spread down into the 
area where they've been collecting the firewood. They haven't controlled it properly, and it's now all, it's all going up. And Piggy's really angry at this, and he says, "You know, this is this shows why what we're doing isn't working here. That you know, mm. we all tore off up the mountain straight away, which was stupid." Um, we built a, bit, a fire that's too big and now it's spread because there was no organisation and we should have been building shelters first because it's, it's nearly dark and we didn't do that he's actually he's the the sort of the, from, I thought the, the true sort of English voice of reason here he's the sort <laughs> of guy saying we need rules that actually you know that actually Function. work and <laughs> so people sort of do don't don't really want to hear it, but he does actually get, get to to say all this, doesn't he? Um, yeah, and and actually admonish everybody else for just for acting like children as they are. He, he in some strange ways he's very mature. Piggy, he's just in a in a in a body and in a personality that can't really harness that maturity to to any great effect. Yeah, I think that's very well said. I think he's he's got insight. But he just hasn't, for some reason, hasn't learned, you know, like it, like an engine without any wheels. Mm. You know, he's got he's, he's got the got the got what he needs to kind of power something quite good, but he's just not ever applied to the world. Yeah, and even this, you kind of hear a tone of voice which says it, it feels quite not petulant, but quite like, why the hell aren't you all just doing the right thing? Why do I have to say this at all? Mm. this this kind of fear of fear of standing out perhaps um which feels quite an interesting um character trait which may not be wholly unjustified in feeling that fear i (laughs) i think if this narrative goes the way i think it's gonna go and um yeah 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 but he makes really good points and gives them a solid bollocking again he's the he's the sort of you know uninteresting bureaucrat character in this role he's the guy going look look we have parking tickets for a reason all right otherwise the town would stop functioning because nobody would be able to drive anywhere i'm sorry but it's a good system you know he's that guy and nobody votes for that guy yeah and his sort of his final point is where's that little boy with the birthmark we saw him down there where the fire is now and um, yeah. we've not seen him since. Is he still? Yeah. Is he still there? And yeah. like a couple of the others say, "Oh, well, maybe he's wandered back to the beach." But it sounds a bit like wishful thinking. And there's this sort of slow quiet that descends on everybody as they look down there and realize maybe one of the <laughs> one of the little kids is in the middle of that fire. And that's quite a yeah. sudden sort of handbrake turn into horror. And uh, and that yeah. I think it just shows how. This in in many places, this has felt quite idyllic, like a bunch of these kids just knocking about on this this yeah. nice island. But this just shows how close like danger is to them as well, um, because there's, they don't really understand how how dangerous this place is. Yeah, and he does that deliberately as well, doesn't he, Golding? Where he he actually has them talk. He, like they have that quick bit where they're all getting excited and talking about what it will be like, and they actually do name swallows and Amazons and other kind of children's adventure books where kids are on their own mm. and succeed in you know threatening circumstances. But then he has this thing where, um, yeah, this this kid just sort of dies off camera, or probably dies, or might have died off camera, mm. and just I think deliberately says. It's not that sort of narrative, you know what I mean? Like it's the our 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 instinct for adventure often leads to people getting killed. And I actually found out that he was at um, he was at D Day 
William Golding. Right. And I find that quite significant. Um, he was in his 30s at the time. Like, he'd already had a little bit of a career and then, then um, enlisted. And, um, and that whole thing about, like, I know there's a whole bunch of kind of... Uh, juvenile energetic pleasure to be had in this sort of danger and that's why adventure books work but actually you know sometimes people just die and i find it really significant that that we've had this moment where um jack is sort of overwhelmed by what the significance would be of of sticking a knife into a piglet Hmm. but when somebody dies somewhere else or when you're like, we don't know whether he's still alive. It's not horror. It's just a sort of, oh yeah, yeah. oh, that kind of he becomes quite subdued, and that's I found that quite interesting because because like the difference between the horrifying act of killing somebody or something in front of you and the abstract fact of what you've done might have caused somebody to die couldn't have a more different emotional significance, hmm. you know. Um, and that, yeah, like that. That's I just found that really interesting little balance that he struck just quite lightly and quite quickly, but quite deeply as well. Mm. We move on to huts on the beach. Uh, this chapter begins. Jack was bent double, um, which, of course, when I was fifteen, I found that absolutely <laughs> hilarious and became a quote of choice in the book. <laughs> tell me, that's one of the ones that made it onto the cover. Oh, you better believe it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of did wonder what was going on in this bit for quite a long time of the description of this because there's a lot of nose in the dirt and looking past a leaf and moving forward slowly and all of this and you're like what is what's what, he doing is he, is, is he doing some sort of interpretive dance <laughs> <laughs> what's going on here yeah so what is going on is he's hunting so he's um he's trying to get a he's in this pig run and he's trying to work out where the where the pigs are. He's, he's this sort of obsession with with hunting um, yeah. has really started to take hold now with Jack. Um, yeah. He sort of gives up, comes back, and uh, Ralph's building these huts uh, with Simon. It's not going very well um, because the only person helping is is this this kid called Simon. Um, yeah, the others are, are like basically work shy they can't be asked they want to go and have fun um, i do quite like again that that's just a kind of given that just appears in the narrative without it having an establishing scene it's just why yeah. is he by himself because everybody's at the beach because they're 12 year olds yeah <laughs> that's it yeah and i like how jack very quick when when again off off uh, off camera off page jack, when this was when this happened when this rule was was brought in everyone's got to build the huts jack had very quickly got a little dispensation for his hunters and it, because they because ralph says it's not on we said everyone had built the huts and and they're not doing it and jack says yeah but we just say my hunters didn't have to do it and ralph's like yeah 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 your hunters don't have to and it's like they're all like they're all jack's hunters are all the oldest kids right, that actually could could help and it's interesting yeah. that it felt very um i don't know very sort of dictatorship um sort of i don't know yeah right we've all got to work really hard but these guys don't have to work very hard because reasons you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's sort of like that kind of jobs for the boys bit exactly. of how decisions yeah. get made yeah. of like 
you know, some difficult things need to be done, and we all agree in principle that it's a noble thing to do them, uh, but we also all agree, everybody in the room agrees, certainly, that nobody in the room should have anything to do with anybody that actually does them. So, uh, who can we victimize from outside the room? Hmm. You know, it's very much that kind of inability to abstract self-interest from, uh, from like, dispassionate decision-making. You know, you make a dispassionate decision with a little asterisk at the end that says, but that doesn't apply to me or any of my mates. Yeah. And, and that, that itself becomes a resource. That inclination, that instinct becomes a resource. Um, yeah. yeah. And you, you, you can see that Ralph's allowed that to happen. And it, this chapter is him slowly realising that that wasn't a good idea and this isn't fair because he yeah. he's been Ralph's been happy to get his hands dirty and, and work himself and but he's allowed Jack to sort of pull his his his, his group away from him and then this tension between who is actually in control of the hunters you know um th- this this grows from here and then you see the the cracks starting to appear because although yeah. I, I think this this decision in the on fire on the mountain in that sorry in the first chapter when Ralph says that Jack can be in charge of the hunters, I think what Ralph says what Ralph hears himself saying there is you're in charge of the hunters and then you report to me, and what yeah. Jack hears is you're in charge of the hunters and that means you're almost like outside of, of my autonomous. control. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and not yeah. managing to establish that that is is sort of what creates the problem here. Yeah, but also not managing to establish that is how he gets Jack on side in the moment of the vote anyway. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Like he kinda you know, they're yours obviously under me and he doesn't say the obviously under me bit. <laughs> um yeah. Uh, yeah. I I wonder whether that might come back to haunt him. <laughs> um the that the hunters have gone swimming because <clears throat> Jack's basically sent them back and said I'm going to carry on on my own and then they've just wandered off again and, and gone for a swim so I mean you, you can I got a real sense of Ralph's frustration here because he's working his ass off in these um, <laughs> in these huts, on these huts which is, a, yeah. which is a, a shit job and really boring and then Jack yeah. comes in from basically having a bloody good time hunting pigs in his um, in yeah. the jungle yeah. wanders over to a, a a coconut shell drinks down a load of water it's like oh, yeah hard work out there and Ralph's like come on what <laughs> hard work is it was it <laughs> Was it was it hard work going for a bit of a run? Yeah, and you, you can bastard. feel you can yeah. feel this resentment simmering in Ralph for the whole chapter, and it just bubbles up every now and then where they have a little. He has a little sort of like jab at, at Jack, and then they yeah. and then they sort of carry on. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's I mean, and again, you know, it's very ominous, isn't it? It's terribly foreboding, and. I, I notice that it's foreboding despite a kind of, I suppose, because of the fact that Jack has this group of people called the Hunters, mm. which which name allows you to ignore the fact that what we're actually talking about is eight 11-year-old choir boys. But mm. the fact that they're called the Hunters and that they're <laughs> given this sort of role of violence suddenly gives them this this symbolic power, mm. um, which which then matters even though they are 11 year old choir boys like it's this really yeah. funny like if, if you hear the hunters by itself you can take it seriously the moment you imagine them marching in formation in their flipping choir robes <laughs> it's all done game over yeah. um but um 
but you kind of don't and you know you feel the logic of that that absurdity mm. grabbing you um even as you recognize that it's absurd um yeah, yeah. They have a. They make make their way to the beach. They leave the shelters for now, and they get you know they argue a bit about um, who should be building the shelters, and he Ralph also talks about the the fact that these little and the, the smaller kids uh, have this fear of this monster, and mm. and Jack actually says you know when you're in the you know I know it's bollocks but when you're in the jungle on your own, like you do feel like you're being watched by something, and. Yeah. And it's it's funny that this sort of it feels like Jack is a little bit more vulnerable to this sort of breakdown of rationality as well. Part, part of the reason oh, why he enjoys hunting so much, and he yeah. and he sort of it feels like he's a little bit closer to this um, more savage end of, of of sort of humanity. And and he feel when he's out there on his own, he sort of the, follows the call of the island is, is louder in his ears than Ralph. Ralph is very, very rational. He's more like Piggy, isn't he? Um, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, I just thought that was quite, yeah, quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, I agree very much. And um, uh, and that is that's quite interesting to me because again, and I mean, you know, I don't use this sort of terminology very often, I suppose, when we talk about books. But again, that that feeling of that kind of brooding darkness in the in the environment feels almost spiritual you know like you could almost believe that the kids are you know they're talking about a beastie and the beastie in question you know could very easily be sort of this sense of this sense of danger which is not wholly just about the island it's also about the people on the island you know the kind of the 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 human weakness and fallenness of the people on the island is itself threatening mm. and um and i find that quite interesting and again quite a deep idea um uh yeah you, you kind of see it you know these character flaws emerging this violence that jack wants to commit emerging this this whole idea of what what ralph's willing to do in order to get and keep power um is a is a kind of present darkness and it's really super 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 interesting as a way of putting together this a narrative that is about how shit goes wrong Mm. in human societies potential spoilers in that i haven't read this book before i'm just assuming that's where we're gonna go (laughs) um and um and i wonder i actually i looked up the what lord of the flies actually means um, and it's it's that's the literal translation of the word Beelzebub, mm. Um, mm. which I found quite interesting as well. Like this idea of, um, you know, this is a depiction of the emergence of evil. If, if you know, or th- this book is in some way about that. Mm. I don't know whether that's the case. I don't know whether that becomes something that they end up talking about later. If it's an allusion to what they're talking about, you know, mm. in a more prosaic kind of a way. But it is quite interesting that on the face of it this book claims to be a book about evil and the way it set itself up is as a struggle between different types of power mm. and different types of violence and that's yeah. that's quite an interesting place for it to have kind of balanced itself you know yeah um they they reach the beach and jack's talking about um ralph's talking about you know uh, how they need to make sure that you know a ship sees them from outside the island and he looks at the fire and says you know we need to get more smoke up there and then jack shouts in excitement and ralph immediately thinks there's a ship there's a ship and it's not that it's that jack's scene 
the area where he thinks the pigs live. <laughs> so he's he's living it. <laughs> yes, he's off. Yeah. Yes. So then they head back to the shelters and they sort of descend to arguing again about about this. And it's funny because they just don't get each other. They they can't understand each other's point of view. These two boys because Ralph keeps talking about shelters and Jack keeps talking about hunting. And I think Jack invites Ralph to go come with him and says, Let, "Let's go hunt this pig together," like because he still wants to be friends as well and mm. he doesn't get he, he doesn't get why Ralph thinks these shelters and this other stuff is so important and Ralph doesn't seem to have the vocabulary to explain to him why it is and they can't, yeah. they, it's, it's sort of it's two people who I, I really it really struck me here how it was two boys who like each other and want to be friends but the, there are things that are, are going on that are pushing them apart and they don't quite they can't quite get to grips why William Golding describes it as as the two boys as two consonants of experience and feeling unable to communicate and it did feel like that's a good line in it yeah they're just sort of being pushed apart yeah very much and like and kind of despite the fact that they have you know despite the fact that they've they're really quite close together in terms of not only their common sort of you know language of of decision making and that but also this instinctive instant understanding they have that each is when they first meet that each needs to be accommodated rather than beaten Hmm. you know and they they're both speaking the same language of how you make decisions and how you assert authority and the rest of it um they are still they are still alienated from one another in a really quite profound way Hmm. that's really that's really really interesting as a way of putting the narrative together yeah, they get back to the huts, and Simon's wandered off now, the final person who was helping out. Um, <laughs> you can just imagine that, though, can't you? Like, the camera's swung away to Jack and Ralph's little kind of little contretemps. And, then, and, and you just imagine Simon in a glade in a forest. He's literally the only person for several thousand miles who gives a single solitary shit about <laughs> getting stuff done. And he's like, oh, well, fuck this. Throws, throws the palm fronds to the left and right and goes down to the beach for a swim. Like That's not difficult to imagine. I am out of here. <laughs> Just looks at his watch and says, well, that does it for the day, doesn't it? <laughs> Give me a coconut. <laughs> so, yeah, he has wandered off. It's funny because he Simon's a, an interesting character. He's very quiet and sensitive and... Um, you know he's very he's very nice and but also really very uh, a bit a bit odd and they say that to each other Simon uh, Ralph and Jack here they say he's he's a bit weird Simon and I felt a bit it's a bit harsh of Ralph to say because he's, he's the only guy who's helping out and Ralph's like <laughs> fucking on Paul isn't he though um, but he he's wandered off into the jungle he finds this pretty little sort of clearing this grove. Um, which is which sounds really really it also sounds a little English, but it's um it's just this little clearing in the middle of the jungle, um where's all these flowers and some lights got uh, so the sunlight sort of beams in, and there's a little sort of pile of creepers at the side, which is, creates a little mini den which he climbs under, and then just lies there and just sort of relaxes. This whole thing, mm. in a way this felt quite you know tranquil and idyllic. Um, and he just sort of lies down and listens to the island. But there's this sort mm. of 
also this there's something like a like a like a slight whiff of a bad smell about it like there's something a bit weird about this this kid doing this as well and a little unsettling um yeah and and maybe it's because in the context of you get a sense through these first chapters of a very sort of loosely held together group of civilized kids and whenever someone like Jack wanders off on his own to hunt or Simon wanders off on his own to just sort of sit there and, I don't know, muse, it, mm. it, it, does, it feels less sort of like the poetic child wandering off and yeah. more like, is this kid going to be okay? Yeah, yeah, very, very well said. And, uh, yeah, very true. And I think that's about the kind of depth, the depth of it. Um and and just how well William Golding has made the story feel like it's taking place in this environment that just has lots of little trapdoors where something really quite bad could happen mm. and just be relayed to you in quite a flat tone of voice. It's kind of what I mean about the Hemingway thing as well. Like, he doesn't do bombast. He's just going to tell you things in a very straight way. Mm. Um which has a great deal of power for being so matter of fact. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, I thought this was really interesting. This actually was the bit where I've realised that one of the other things that this has had a huge influence on is um, The Beach. Have you read The Beach? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which we should do that on the podcast, actually, at some point. That would be really interesting to do. Mm. Um, uh, but uh, one of the reasons that I loved that when I first read it as a teenager, <laughs> one of the reasons everybody loved it when it came out, was this kind of, this beach, the beach life thing of, like, this idyllic tropical environment. Um, I have to say that now, having lived in such an environment, all I'm thinking when he's in this kind of, like, matted, you know, matted palm fronds glade thing, all I'm doing is thinking, yeah, right, and how many spiders are living under there? Like, you, <laughs> you don't, don't want to lie back on that without looking closely at it first. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, will we find out? Maybe next time. We've read our first three chapters, and yeah. we will read the next three for next week. So read as far as Shadows and Tall Trees, but not including Shadows it. and Tall Trees. Um, right. If you want to have any uh, feedback to us, you know where to send it. Sharkliveroyalpodcast at gmail.com or at Royal on Twitter. We're going to do Lord of the Flies in four parts. So, um, And that will take us into April. You know what happens in April? I do, Matt. Winter comes, doesn't it? <laughs> Hold on here, but to, to mix our, our favourite, to mix our genres, uh, our, yeah. uh, our our uh, 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 oh, flipping. I have completely forgotten the word franchise. Franchises <laughs> to mix our franchises is what we're yeah. doing there. But yeah. it is they are the two franchises, aren't they? Where the where we've read the book and then we're sort of unable to keep ourselves from just sort of glancing across the road and noticing that there's a whole major media franchise going on over there as well yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. so so yeah so for the next few weeks we'll be doing lord of the flies um and if you're reading along with us which one or two people do i know the vast majority of you just read the whole fucking thing and then wait for us to, to podcast <laughs> it. but um <laughs> if you are reading along with us then go as far as shadows and tall trees so you've got three more chapters to read for next week and we shall return them until then dave until then matt <laughs>